This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, New Life. It's Angela, and it's good to be here with you this morning and experience the worship. Those lyrics, some of them fire me up of like, yes, yes, that's true. I'm so glad that's true. It's so good to be reminded. And then some of them are more like aspirational prayers of like, I hope that could be true of me, that I could be the kind of person that sings in a storm. But in reality, on a day-to-day basis, I'm bouncing back and forth on how much hope I feel or how much security I feel that allows me to sing even when it's storming. But that's actually the beauty of the series that we're in. It's called Look Up, and it begs the question, how can we see beyond our circumstances to the fact that God is active in every part of our story? And when we can pull our eyes up off of this reality, that is a reality, but when we can pull our eyes off of this reality and up to the greater reality, it changes everything about our actual circumstances. I had the funniest experience. Well, I thought it was funny. I laughed out loud, but I was all by myself and behind a mask, so no one knew. But... I had an experience the other day coming out of Target that just made me laugh because of the teaching series that we're in. But I was exiting Target and was greeted by all the usual visuals of cars and exhaust and bustling shoppers and uh, abandoned shopping carts. And yet something caught my eye and I looked up. And when I did, I was transported to another reality. The sky was glowing an unearthly blue and I tried to capture it on my phone. It's not doing it justice but it seemed like something out of a painting. And the fall branches were bare, but they were framing this beautiful silvery moon. And I felt different. I went from the reality of abandoned shopping carts and the chores that I still had to do and the parking um, lot ugliness. And yet, even though I was not moved out of those circumstances, my whole perspective changed as I was drawn into a bigger picture, a bigger true reality. And that is the essence of this Look Up series. How can we be in the muck and the mire of the circumstances, but seeing something so much bigger and so much truer that we can have comfort and calm and hope in the middle of poop circumstances? When I was little, my favorite Bible verse was one that was just filled with optimism. And and it says, it's Romans 8, 28, and it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. I think one of the purposes that God has for us in this season is to learn this skill of look up. I think because so much of life is difficult right now, that there is right in the middle of it, this invitation, this purpose, this calling from God to step into something that is a new perspective, his perspective and a partnership that comes with that. I want to read you the same exact set of verses, but from a different translation, because it just saturates on a point a little bit more that makes it come alive to me. This is what the message says, Romans 8, 26 to 28. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting... God's spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans, 
he knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. This is a basic premise of the Christian faith. This is not a child's idealism. I mean, I know why as a little kid, I just love that verse. But as a grown adult, I resonate with that verse in a completely different way. This is the basic premise of Christianity. Why we can have peace in rough circumstances is the reality that God is intimately, actively, and personally involved in every detail of our circumstances. And he is always advocating for our good. That is the heartbeat of this Look Up series. So we have been using the life story of a historical figure named Gideon because the various plot points in his life throughout this story, he has practiced, sometimes struggling and sometimes embracing, many different ways of looking up that here are the circumstances and now he's going to see something bigger and greater than that. And in seeing that perspective, because he looked up, he had the courage to follow where God was leading in bold and beautiful ways. His story is fantastic. And next week, I won't steal the thunder. It is crazy what God does with this willing participant in the story that God wants to write. So we're going to open the next chapter in Gideon's story. But before we do that, let's go back to we're all on the same page of some of what we have already covered out of his story. So Gideon was an ancient Israelite. And at the time that he was alive, Israel was being completely harassed by neighboring nations. So much so that they had took, taken to hiding in caves and mountains and were actually starving because of the marauding that was happening on the land and because of the conditions that they were living in. And they were rattled and shaken to their roots. And Gideon is in hiding. At one point when we pop into a story, he is in hiding and God shows up and has a, what I would consider harebrained idea. And apparently Gideon considered it harebrained as well. But God says, hey, I'm going to free Israel from these nations. And that right there is a big, beautiful dream that is totally God-sized and would have been really exciting for Gideon, but also like, mm, how are you going to do that? But God takes it one more step to the ludicrous and it's like, you Gideon, non-warrior type, <laughs> you, I'm going to use you to lead Israel to freedom. And then that just, that just breaks all credibility with Gideon. And so he goes through this journey where he has to learn the skill of looking beyond the reality of, hey, I am not trained for this. I am not a leader. And these circumstances are horrible to seeing a picture that is bigger, to see God's picture and that God is the one who is saying, let's do this and therefore it is possible. Even after Gideon can believe God's harebrained idea and goes with it, he has to do a whole series of narrative work and identity work to even keep the courage to stay with God. So, which I, I totally resonate with that. Sometimes I wrestle to understand to even grasp the size of God's dreams, but then I will get it. And as I go to, to partner with him in it, I lose perspective as I go <laughs> and return back to the, are you sure this is what you had in mind? And so we've seen that in the previous weeks as Gideon has had layer upon layer upon layer of looking at his reality and God helping him look up to something that is bigger. So now we're all caught up and we're ready to open the next chapter of Gideon's story. That night, the Lord told Gideon to hitch his father's best ox to the family altar of Baal and pull it down. 
and to cut down the wooden idol of the goddess Asherah that stood nearby. Replace it with an altar for the Lord your God, built here on this hill, laying the stones carefully. Then sacrifice the ox as a burnt offering to the Lord, using the wooden idol as wood for the fire on the altar. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord commanded. This may not, at first glance, seem like the most relatable part of Gideon's story, but hang on. It is amazingly fertile soil for us. So the basic gist of this is here is God saying, I want to take this journey with you, Gideon. But the thing is, I am God and you were raised worshiping these gods. And the thing is, you can't bring these gods where we're going. I am where you're going. So I need you to go back and clean house. And that's the, that's the basic gist of today's teaching is how can we look past the dysfunction <laughs> that we have to see God's vision of our future? So God has already revealed big pieces of where he wants to take Gideon, but Gideon doesn't realize that if he drags this other religion with him, it's never going to work. He's never going to be able to fully live into who God made him to be. And in that, this is incredibly applicable to us, especially if you consider what an idol is. So yes, an idol at its basic premise is just a statue, but there are statues that are not idols. <laughs> the difference is a statue becomes an idol when it represents a hope that is a hope other than God. So we have the ability to put our hope in all kinds of things that are not God. I think maybe COVID... Maybe this is just me, but it has been a clearing house <laughs> of my uh, misguided coping mechanisms and hopes. <laughs> just a litany of different things that I have tried to put my hope in that turn out not to be reliable places to put hope. I assume you are probably having the same mess over in your house but, but it's not really that different from what Gideon was doing. He was raised putting his hope in Baal and Asherah. He was raised in that process. So when God enters his story and is like, listen, I got a whole different way. First of all, how is that working for you? You have put your hope in Baal and Asherah and you are hiding in a cave, starving. Listen, I have something better to offer. But golly, can you not resonate with Gideon and his desire to just keep the status quo, not realizing that the status quo is not working? Where the rubber meets the road for us is Gideon has this moment where he has to decide where is my hope allegiance? Do you get what I'm saying there? He had been putting his allegiance. I will find hope when Baal and Asherah reply to my needs. And God is saying, okay, you can put your hope there, but it doesn't work. Ultimately, it doesn't hold. So you might find some comfort every time you pray to these gods. You might It might bring you some things, but it is ultimately not going to serve your needs. This is a hope allegiance that I'm asking you to move with me over here. And in that, I find this incredibly relevant for us. There's actually two ways I find this relevant for us. The first is this concept of hope allegiance. I already alluded to the fact that I have been a little bit of a mess when it has come to things that I will cling to in this time. Some of them are just teeny tiny. I have put my false hope in alone time. I'm an introvert 
and I have needs for alone time. That is totally a true thing. But I have found that I, as I have struggled in this last year, that I have put too much hope in the bank of if I could just get alone time, I would stop feeling so grouchy. I would be able to have margin to tackle the things that life is bringing me. I would be able to have peace in these circumstances. So sometimes it's little tiny things like that. Sometimes it's the false hope of control. If I could just get all these details put together and map out a plan and map out a plan B and C and D because COVID <laughs> requires that. If I could just control more things, I could be less miserable. I have hope in control. This is where Gideon's story and our stories totally intersect. God comes into the story and says, put your hope in me. Here's what I can offer you. I could offer you literal freedom, but also spiritual freedom, emotional freedom. <laughs> I can offer you hope. I can offer you significance. You're going to make an impact in your world. I have all of these things. Put your hope in me. And Gideon had a physical thing to do to demonstrate that he was tearing down these false hopes when he hooked his father's best oxen to the altar. And I think the question that Gideon's story begs of us is which of our altars do we need to hook our best oxen to? When you scan the horizon of your life and you consider the places where you put your hope, the question is, how is that working for you? I don't hear God in Gideon's story, even though he has every right to be like, hey, dude, I'm God. That's just a wooden statue. <laughs> There's none of that tone there. He's just like, hey, come with me. Stop putting your hope there. Come with me. Unabashedly abandon it and come with me. I think it's the same invitation that you and I get. Hey, how is that false hope working for you? Don't you want to come with me? Put your hope in me. Okay, so that begs the question, kind of like my introvert thing. My, I'm an introvert. That is a true need that I have for a long time. So how can I know if I am leaning into a false hope or if I am just dealing with reality? This has been a trick for me. It has been a whole bunch of experimentation. And finally, it dawned on me something that maybe should have been obvious to me before this, but it wasn't. We have been given an incredibly practical tool by God <laughs> to determine this. So let's say I am feeling at my wit's end. I have no margin and I need some hope. I need some peace. I need to feel better. I need to look up. <laughs> And the introvert in me is screaming, can we please just have some alone time? I'll feel better when we have alone time. Here's how I can know if I am healthily engaging with my humanity or if I am unhealthily putting my hopes in an idol. It depends on what comes out of it. If when I press into this alone time, I come out of it with love, more joy, peace, more patience. I feel kinder. I want to be kinder. I feel goodness in me. I'm gentler. I have more self-control. I am faithful. When these are the things that come out of my investments, then those investments are a partnership between God and I and not a coping mechanism or a false hope. I don't know if you recognize that list of things, but when I say God has given us an incredibly practical tool, it's the fruit of the spirit. So 
we are told that when we hang out with God's spirit, that these are the types of things that will just naturally be produced in our lives. When we hang out with Jesus, we get things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you go back in your memories and you look to one of these things that may be tempting to just be like, that's me and my humanity dealing in reality, I have times where I had alone time and I did not come out with any of those traits. And I have times, in fact, I've come out with entitlement. I've come out pouting that it wasn't long enough. I've come out numb because I vegged out. I have had alone time that has produced what I would expect to see when false, when hope is put in a false place. But I have also had alone time that I have come out with more margin. I have come out healed and restored. The, the secret sauce is not, am I an introvert with alone time? The secret sauce is, where have I put my hope? Who am I engaging with while I show respect for my humanity? So some of the false hopes that I see popping up in my own life that maybe be helpful to you, that God might be saying to us, hey, would you like to switch your hope allegiance? I will prove to you what I have to offer. Some of the false hopes that I see so prevalent right now are hopes in uh, when all of this is over. Like, I'll feel better when all of this is over. Or even putting our hope in a vaccine. Maybe a vaccine is going to be incredible and help this all be over sooner. But maybe also, that's not where we should put our hope. That's not to say we do or we don't do a vaccine. It's not a political statement in any way, shape, or form. But if I hang my hat on something like that, that I have no control over, that may or may not benefit me, that may or may not solve this larger thing, that's a false place to put my hope, that it can't hold my hope. Sometimes some of these false hopes hold enough to convince us to keep going with it. But that is not ultimately where our hope allegiance is best invested. It's possible, and this, this might be a little sensitive, so I'm going to say this with great humility and gentleness, but it is possible that this is the year that we might hear God whisper to us, hey, I can steward your hope better than any political party. That is not to say that we are not civically minded and we don't do our civic duty. I proudly am an American citizen who wants to engage with what is going on in our society. And yet, political anything cannot bear the stewardship of my hope in any way, shape, or form like God can steward my hope. I know that might be uncomfortable. I know that there's a lot of nuance to that that might be like, get your hackles up. <laughs> but in truth, we've all experienced to some degree the reality of the limited nature and the corruptibility of human systems. So while we might participate in them, while we might try to make them better, while we might um, in some way, shape or form, even be passionate and active, that is not the safest place to rest our hope. And God might be whispering to us, hey, how is that hope allegiance working for you? Do you find yourself, when you engage with this hope, do you find yourself more loving, more gentle, more patient, more at peace? 
That is a tough question for us, but, the, but in it is God's invitation to a life filled with character traits that are our aspirations. They are who we want to be. But sometimes I don't notice the things that I am investing in are actually pulling me away from that picture. These false hopes can be tricky and I would even say kind of insidious. One of them that's caught me off guard is how much hope I am putting in bless his heart, my husband, Jason. That I might be struggling and marginless and tired and strung out and trapped and twitchy and all of these things. And I turn around and I find myself accidentally expecting that my husband will be completely perfect to make up for all of it. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Jason is an incredible man who is so eager to please and to serve. He is wonderful and he is not capable of stewarding that hope. <laughs> I'm sorry, love. <laughs> It's a false hope. And I, I've done the same thing with my friends. Why aren't my friends checking in with me more? Do they not see me? Do they not care? Do they not? I am putting a false hope. Now, there is a place for the encouragement of our loved ones. There is a place for shared burdens. There is a place to receive the hope that is someone else's input. I am not saying that these things don't provide some hope, but ultimately... They are not where we can hang our hope. We are not that different from Gideon in that we have, we sit at a crossroads of our hope allegiance in this moment because we need hope so badly. We are in a moment where God is whispering an invitation. Can I compel you to consider changing your hope allegiance to me? who is actively and intimately and personally involved in every detail of your circumstances. And I'm always advocating for your good. This is where Gideon's hooking his best oxen up to an altar and tearing it down was terrifying for Gideon. Terrifying. And yet it was a symbol of a thing that was happening in his heart where he was switching his hope allegiance. Secondly, and we'll breeze through this one quickly, but it is no small potatoes. But another thing that makes this story compelling to me and is so relatable to us is that the very thing that Gideon needed to do in order to switch his hope allegiance was incredibly insulting to his family. Gideon was able to look past the dysfunction of his family and consider that God's reality was bigger and better and he was willing to tear down the family idols. He abandoned the family religion and and I chuckled while I was reading this chapter thing because he used the idols as firewood for the new altar he was building to God. Now, okay, you've heard of passive aggressive. That was aggressive aggressive. <laughs> And I don't know, when God whispers an invitation to you away from these false hopes, it's possible some of them, like Gideon, are family heritages. That it's not just going to be you choosing to change a false hope to a real hope in God. It may also shake up your family of origin or your loved ones or your friendship circle as you begin to switch your hope allegiance could cause some significant disruption. Some of you, I am preaching to the choir because you've already done cycle breaking from your family. 
My parents did major cycle breaking in their generation, and they have encouraged us to do major cycle breaking. But even with that encouragement from my parents, when I have spotted a thing in our family heritage that is not working for us, it is uncomfortable for everyone. It is tricky to navigate. Blessedly, if you go on to read more of this particular chapter of Gideon's story, his dad comes to his rescue when Gideon is being threatened to be killed for taking this action. His dad comes to his rescue and defends him, and it's a beautiful thing. And that may not be the story for those of us who are cycle-breaking. We may receive significant persecution and discomfort. But in that, you are in incredible company. Because if you stop and think about it, Jesus did massive family disruption in his time on earth. He came to put away an old religious system and to create a new covenant between God and people. And it's a beautiful thing. And yet it was different from what the people he was talking to had been raised with. And they believed this to be sacred. It is ultimately what got him killed. I am not suggesting that you cycle breaking is going to put your life in jeopardy. But if you find yourself quaking at the idea of pushing back on one of these false hopes because your family of origin has embraced this particular false hope, just take comfort in the fact that you are in literally the best company. And all throughout the story of Jesus, you can see him calmly, gently, with all of these fruits of the spirit, persist in changing the narrative. Jesus himself looked up all of the time. As we uh, consider what to do, what to do as we look at Gideon's story, I see two things um, worth noting. One is a human who had a boatload of courage to look up. And I am inspired by his ability to face down the reality of the false hopes that he had and to rattle his family by choosing to, to press in to facing that dysfunction with God's perspective and writing a new narrative, changing his hope allegiance. So in that, I resonate with the humanity of Gideon, but ultimately... That's not the main story here. Yes, God chose to use Gideon. Yes, Gideon chose to follow God. And in that, there's so so much inspiration for us. But in reality, this is actually about God. Is he trustworthy to pin our hopes on? Is he safe for us to switch our hope allegiance to? What will he do with us when we follow him with our hope? What can he offer what perspective will that change? How can that help me wade through the reality of my circumstances? This is actually about God more so than it's about us. And we need to, we get the opportunity to participate with God. So we, we have to opt in. We have a similar choice to make with Gideon, which is here's where I've been putting my hope. How can I transition that over? So I actually want to give us a little bit of time this morning to consider the hopes that we may have right now and weigh them out, literally looking back on our past, asking the question, when I engage in these hopes, do I find myself experiencing the fruit of the Spirit? 
And it's possible that in this reflection time, you're going to hear God endorse this one and that one. You're going to see God show up in that hope where he says, hey, yes, that is a great hope because look, when you do this, the fruit of the spirit pop out. That's because I'm in that hope. That is you putting your hope allegiance on me. And as we scan the horizon, I think he's going to have some invitations to us away from some of our false hope. And the beauty of God is just like when he interacted with Gideon, he could have said, hey, you spent your whole life with a wrong God. Come on, I'm over you. And made him feel guilty, been insulted by the fact that Gideon, there was none of that. There was just an invitation to follow him. If in this reflection time you find a false hope, that does not become your next to-do list. Here's the thing. In Gideon's case, he had a physical oxen he was attaching to physical idols. And the oxen had to do the work to tear it down. Gideon just had to set the whole thing up. We are metaphorically almost exactly the same thing. Just metaphorically. God is our best oxen. And maybe that sounds sacrilegious, but I love animals and I find that incredibly affection producing. <laughs> but... God is our best oxen. So as we go into this reflection time, if you find a hope that God points out as false and invites you into something else, that does not become your moment for control or self-reliance. That becomes a moment for, conver uh, for conversation with God where you say, okay, I'd like to switch my hope allegiance. Can you point that out? Can you tear that down? Can you whisper an invitation to view things a different way? Can you start to reveal to me why that thing is not false, real hope, because it sure looks hopeful to me. Like it's just the beginning of a conversation as God whispers to us the same invitation that he whispered to Gideon. Come with me. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.